Welcome to the show. You can watch and subscribe to the Project FIA TV show on YouTube. Drop comments and questions to us on the podcast via Twitter. Our handle is Project FIA. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy. This is Project FIA Goes PC. Hello, everyone. This is episode number 99 of FIA Goes PC. Yes, it's soft served with a flake impaling it. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, because you're not English, you're from somewhere else around the world, I'm talking about, you know, like a Mr. Whippy ice cream. It delivers in a van. We call them 99s here. And a flake is a chocolate thing that kind of goes around the world. It's it's the most annoying chocolate to eat because it just falls apart in your face, hence it being called a flake. And it also doesn't turn up on time when you've set arrangements because it's flaking out. Uh, but yeah, look it up. It all exists. 99. That's pretty impressive. feel like I've been here a long time. <sighs> Speaking of long times, uh, if I can stop us staring at the moon and howling like a wolf, our producer is here, Winifred Saylor. Hello. What's up with you and your full moon behavior? Um, it's pretty. Okay, great. So uh, lycanthropy, lycanthropy isn't what it used to be. Weirdly, we <laughs> were talking about that last time. Um, 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 I got a couple a of things. Have you got a question? Is it called Already? a 99 flake because it cost or used to cost 99p? No, it's because the amount of souls that have to die to make it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a risky business being mm -hmm. in the ice cream trade. We have these vans that turn up around the UK. You might have seen them on films and TV series from the UK. Yes, like and they play a Pride jingle. and Prejudice, which didn't have vans in those days. Uh, they used to turn up on horse-drawn carriages back then. No. Yeah, in the film, Kira no. Knightley orders a Mr. Whippy. I'm sure no. she does. Yeah. I watched it. It doesn't have an ice cream van. Really? Yeah. Oh, it should. Horse-drawn <laughs> carriage. Maybe they couldn't fit it in because it's only a feature film that you watch. Mm -hmm. The TV series would have it in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we don't have craft service here. In America, when you're on a film set, mm -hmm. they have a thing called craft services, which right. is like the craft, as opposed to everyone just gets Vegemite from craft and a bunch of Oreos, anything that's made by craft, weirdly, Cadbury's. Um, it's not that. It's just the craft, as in we're all doing a craft. We're making crafts. We're building boats out of lollipop sticks. Uh, services. And you get to eat stuff. You mean like catering? There you go. That's what we call it in the UK. But in the UK, when you're on a film set, it's just an ice cream truck that pours up. It isn't. Yeah, it is. Everyone's got to watch their calories. <laughs> yeah. But we impale it. That's the thing that's really funny. No one else does that around the world. Because I know they exist in Hong Kong because they sort of have our cultures in a weird way from mm -hmm. the colony days which is a taboo subject these days, but they, they used to be a colony of the UK. Yes. This if you're is, uh, a millennial, you might not know. History. And if you are a millennial in Hong Kong, you definitely know because it's been quite you're a You're trying to fight back the colony. Yeah, all colonies. We want, we want, <laughs> Whatever like, colony. We want, we want the crown back? I don't yeah, know. I don't know what they want. It's all a bit <laughs> silly. Well, it was banned on Netflix in China, wasn't it? The crown. The crown, no. Yeah, they want it back. No. That's what the protests are all about. Yeah, having the crown back. <laughs> um, anyway, so lots are going on, but I was I, I was kind of actively metaphoring mm. the ice cream impaled with a flake. Right. Because it's not unlike the audiobook I've been 
forced to listen to because I've got loads of audiobooks. They won't shut up. Forced. Just keep talking over and over again. Yeah, you know how you've got a library now? Yes, I do. Yeah, well, <laughs> they just won't shut up, the audiobooks. They look like books, right? But I won't stop talking. Oh. It's really annoying. They just keep going on and on and on. It's not even about anything in particular. They just talk, gossip mostly. Speaking of gossip, mm-hmm. uh, Chelsea just won the uh, Champions League, which is okay. which is great if you're in London and you support them. Not so great if uh, you're from the north and a Manchester City fan. When but... you say Chelsea, it makes me think of the toffee candy. You know what I'm talking about? No, I'm tapping out. <laughs> it's like these little. Um... Little small boxes, like yeah, paper still, boxes, still, that have yeah. The more you're explaining it, the least I know. Toffee, and it's called Chelsea. Boring. Uh, there's a Chelsea bun. I know that. Yeah. Which is kind of like a. There's uh, a Chelsea Clinton. She's a card. <laughs> a Clinton card. <laughs> I know the owned by the president, former president Bill Clinton. <laughs> Clinton's cards. Yeah, you've lost your job. There's a new president. His name's George Bush. That's why he got years ago. He, 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 it's sort of a karmatic job. If you own a card company, eventually it comes back and haunts you. Yes. For those not in the UK, there is a card company called Clinton's. It's American. It's American. Yeah. So folks in America are like, whatever, dude. Uh, that's also Hallmark. I don't buy cards. Who buys cards anymore? A lot of people buy cards. That's why the trees are going. A vast rate. They should all be digital now. E-cards. I think Moonpig did that. No, Moonpig was digital, and then you get the card, wasn't it? You order the card online, and then they print it to order. Yeah. Yes. So. So it's a half and technically, half. Technically, I mean, the best ones are like the ones you get on those uh, email cards. Yeah. They don't. No. Screw anything up, and they are free. But they're very annoying. Yeah. I don't. Well, like cards. The cards in general are. are I don't know. Like, if you're listening, family of mine and friends, yeah, I don't really do cards. We we don't really, like, it's a nice gesture. It's almost an awkwardness because you get these things, like these greeting cards or whatever, celebrations, mm. and uh, you don't know what to do with them after five days. Well, they're pretty, but most people don't actually write a lot of things in the cards. Like, when 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 snail mail was normal... Daisy and I, my good friend back home, used to write full-on letters and fill the card with, like, words. So it became like a letter, and that's kind of cool, you know? Well, like a postcard. No, like a proper card, so you open it and it's yeah, just no, like I know words. what you're saying, but the way you use them is like we use postcards. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to put it in an envelope. Anyway, we're talking a lot of cards, a lot of nonsense. But, uh, yeah, I don't really understand. I'd rather an email, a nice letter. Well, I mean, we're in the day and age of text messages. Yeah. And theoretically, you can write someone a nice little thing that's very personalized in a text message. Yeah. Really? You don't even need to email. Email's kind of like becoming like letters. Yeah. <laughs> no one really cares about emails anymore. Um, but yeah, like, I, I just think the card thing, you don't need to waste your money, folks, if you're listening and you ever want to send us a card. Not that you even comment on any of our stuff, but if you were to send us a card, don't bother. It's a waste of money and a waste of time. Well, you can, but you have to, like, fill out the card. So there's a lot to read. No, I'd rather you didn't, because then it would get a bit weird. <laughs> no. It'll be a secret messages. I'll be accused of something down the line. That reminds me of a Bare Naked Ladies song. 
Yeah, you're, you're really, really, you should go back to watching the moon. Because I think no, you need to reset. You've got a bit mad. Because they had like some random fans that they didn't know uh, who kept sending them postcards of um, apes or something. For anyone who doesn't realize, Bare Naked Ladies isn't an offering. It's actually a Canadian <laughs> rock band, soft rock band, kind of pop rock band. Yes. From Canada. Yes. They've been going for a while. I think they're from Vancouver, aren't they? Uh, yeah. And they're West Coast. They're very good. I a saw lot them of stuff. live in Birmingham. Did many, you? You many, saw them live. Many, many years ago. I saw them as waxworks in a museum. I didn't. We've talked about waxworks before. It does work. <laughs> a lot of candles. That's the funniest thing. Madame Tussauds should actually sell them when they're old. Yeah. Like no one cares about the celebrity mm -hmm. anymore. As a candle. As a candle. It'd go on for right, like in church. Would make church a lot more fun. Because mm -hmm. they have like these huge <laughs> candles at church. Wouldn't it be great if it was Donald Trump? But And you had a little wick on his head yeah. and you just set fire to it. It lasts but for ages. It's going to get to the point where there's no like head or upper body. That's <laughs> great. freaky. Well, a lot of people are like that where it's just legs and a, a couple <laughs> hands on the floor. Be nice. Mm. Yeah. Interesting My use. My was actually in the news recently. Was it? Yeah, because, um, uh, well, not that recently, but because um, Harry and Meghan, when they stepped down from the royal family, they actually moved their wax figures away from the royal really wax figures into the hollywood corner wow yeah. they've snubbed the royals and put themselves in hollywood yeah wow yeah interesting they're by iron man now i guess <laughs> i don't know i haven't been <laughs> yeah it's funny because the iron man one you see in hollywood if you're in, I, I always refer back to the days in hollywood forgive me folks but mm -hmm. i was there for a long time i'm still <laughs> there in many ways to be honest never left um but basically when you're on the the strip there the, the hollywood boulevard yeah you've got a massive madame two swords which always was quite weird mm. it only took him about 400 years to get there but basically in the window is iron man the top where mm. you like you see kids running around it because yeah. it's sort of exposed the street yeah it's meant to be more of a playful kind of bring them out to the public and then they go back into the museum mm. kind of a deal and uh iron man is mostly in his iron man uniform mm-hmm in fact, totally is. Uh, and it's made out of metal, so it's not really wax. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, for that one, it got expelled because it's metal works, which belongs to a different museum. But Madame Tussauds... False advertising. ...has a nice history because it's... I think she was a French bureaucrat in London years and years ago. And the original one was in London. Mm. A lot of people doubt that because there's loads of franchises yep. around the world now. There's one on the peak in Hong Kong. Including Hong Kong, Victoria Peak. I Indeed. Think the one, the guy standing in front of it is Jackie Chan. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Only when he's in Hong Kong. Most of the time he's in China. Uh, yeah. The Hong Kong one's quite interesting because a lot of the famous Chinese sort of uh, Asian, I should say, because there's some Japanese and mm -hmm. Korean as well, are mostly local celebrities, yeah. which is interesting because in London it's a mix and in Hollywood it's a mix. Now, because we've got Megan and Harry. Megan is obviously from California, but Harry is not mm -hmm. by way of accent and uh, Windsor-ness. Yeah. So it's an interesting story because I used to think growing up it was two swords oh. and a female Madame two swords. Two swords. It was Madame Two Swords. That's, That's what I pretty cool, actually. Yeah, wouldn't it be? Yeah. Like, she was a murdering vixen. 
<laughs> she is responsible for killing Jack the Ripper. She's the Woman's Retribution Act in the feminist movement of suffrage London. See? That's a huge that's Netflix a, show. Oh, Madam Tussauds. There you go. I've just given you a Netflix show. That's a female French version of Miyamoto Musashi. No, 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 no. You can't bring him into it. Why? The samurai. Japanese swordsman. It's dishonorable. He doesn't want to be anything engaged in nonsense. He's a very honorable <laughs> person. Unlike wrote, Madame Tussauds. They wrote about five rings, which is an extra ring on the Olympics. No, it's the Olympics. He wrote about the Olympics. He wrote about <laughs> That's what he did. <laughs> Miyamoto Masashi's Book of Five Rings is yeah. the idea of the Olympic Games. Obviously, everyone knows that. Uh, it's nothing to do with philosophy and strategy and mm -hmm. spirituality at all. Mm -hmm. It's just Tokyo Olympics set in 18-something-something. I don't know. Which is happening this year. Wow. Is it? We still don't know. There's, yeah, they said. There's mass protests against it, mm -hmm. though. Tokyo, the people of Tokyo are completely against it. A lot of the athletes are... are either been testing positive for COVID or just don't want to go. So who knows? Who knows? It's intriguing. It'll happen when it happens. It's also they're claiming it's going to be too hot now. Is it? Yeah, because obviously Tokyo summers are really hot. Yeah. Yeah. 30 something plus. It's 30 plus now in Hong Kong. Yeah. So it must be matching that over Super summer in, in Tokyo. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. I'm I'm bored of talking about it. I'd rather it be the Olympics and never happen just because I know Pete with all of his merchandise <laughs> will be able to go, oh, that was a great Olympics. And no, no, <laughs> that never you know, happened. No one won. And nothing <laughs> happened. Um, I think, honestly, they should just forget it because everything's shifting dates, like the European football trophy mm. cup, the Euro cup. Which is kind of like the Eurovision Song Contest. You play football and everyone judges you afterwards. You have a phone around and then different countries give you a mark out of 10. Mm. That's how they play it in the Euros. Yeah, yeah. It's like Eurovision. That just happened. Britain came last. Or England. I forget if we're England or Britain. I think we're Britain. We came last. Yeah. Uh, After no all of this, or something. Yeah, nil point. <laughs> After all of this build-up, we became last. Because, mm. obviously, Europe's still bitter about Brexit. <laughs> Our song was also... I don't know. I haven't even heard I it. I don't know. <laughs> I hope it. Hopefully, it's East London gangster rap, because that's, that's. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. That's fashionable mm. in uh, East London, <laughs> and subways are across the nation. Apparently, it's the full moon. There's been a full moon this week, so we're a bit mad. I think it's also been extremely hot today. There's also been a full moon eclipse. I didn't see it. No, we we couldn't see it. No, it was too dark. It was in. Um, Southeast Asia and that was end of the world. That's that what. end of the world. <laughs> the other side. The massive chunk of the world that's Southeast Asia, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, lunar eclipse. And I think just, some parts of America as well. Lunar so. eclipse just looks like a cloudy sky to me, which is quite a lot of days in England. But it's been pretty amazing. We've had, it's very unusual here because usually we have seasons creep in. Yeah. Like a stealthy snowflake or something. But um, now... It seems abrupt, almost subtropical, which terrifies me for how hot it's going to get over summer because mm. usually we get this sign as an indication where a couple of days it's rubbish and then it gets a bit better and then it's kind of rubbish for a while and then it's okay. But it's literally happened 24 hours. It went from something like 11, 13 degrees to now 20. Yeah. So it feels like we're in Hong Kong. Yay! 
Yay. That's just because there's a lot more Chinese people here. No. <laughs> a lot of them have come over. Uh, swam. It's true, but... <laughs> on, uh, on Lilo's. Oh. It's a long trip. Mm-hmm. A lot of land to swim across. <laughs> Not alone the oceans, but hey-ho. It's interesting days. So all of this nonsense we're talking which most of it's because you're abstract and you keep looking at the moon. I'm still distracted because of all the audiobooks. Mm. And I was thinking audiobooks are an interesting forum because when I was a kid, which is basically before history began, according to local news these days, <laughs> uh, where records begin every 10 years, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um, when we originally had vinyl, when records did begin, literally because they were invented, um, yeah, I was coming towards the end of it where we create this thing called a compact disc, which you still get. Mm-hmm. They're called CDs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or seeds if you plant them in the garden. So what we've got is these things that we used to get these books for kids, like a kid's version of something. Yes. Usually abstract weird ones. I had uh, one about the, the, the Minotaurs. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the Gorgons, Medusa, mm. and the other blue cheeses of Italy, Gorgonzola <laughs> and all of her friends. And that had a tape with it, and you'd yeah. play it. It's two-sided. A cassette a, tape. A, a cassette tape, which isn't to be confused with a flamenco instrument. They're castanets. Castanets. The, these are cassettes. Yes. Which a lot of video games used to run on. It's very odd, isn't it? If you're young... This day and age, you wouldn't know what we're talking about. The only place that I think would is Japan, who still sell them, weirdly, as we discovered. My mom gave my cousin's kids, who are quite a bit younger than me, this book of history, and it had, like, bits and bobs, and on one page it was about cassette tapes, and they asked me, what's this? And I'm like, oh my god, Exactly. Well, I mean, don't get me started on Betamax. If you're in America, you'd know what that is, and, and different things that we had that didn't really flourish like mini discs but we had these tape cassettes so eight is okay yeah. and you'd put them in like a, uh, a it's kind of like you see it in old crime stuff if, you, if you're young and you don't know what i'm talking about if you ever watch uh, some kind of old crime based thriller you'll see detectives often tape record mm-hmm. conversations and interviews they still do actually the police I don't think they've moved on from tape cassettes, probably because of budget budget cuts. Uh, budget cuts, <laughs> and they don't want them to be too savvy. Basically, you would play this thing in a in a kind of recorder stroke player, and it was double sided, and you have the book that goes with it. So you'd have an audio book pre recorded with loads of voice acting or mm-hmm. whatever as you're reading the book as a teaching aid. And now, things are all audio booked. Yeah. So it's almost like when you release a novel you can get the audio equivalent by the writer or by a group of actors, Mm -hmm. which is quite cool. Yeah. It's almost like a podcast that goes on for a rather long time. It's a scripted podcast, essentially. Correct. And I was listening to, for the first time, probably because I I attempted to read this book when I was around the age of 12, Mm -hmm. which is probably not right. Okay. Um, Dracula, which we've all heard of. It's about a guy from uh, Transylvania. Yes. Which is its own country. A lot of people confuse that it's Romanian or whatever. It's close to Romania, but it's its own place. And uh, it's uh, by an Irish guy called Bram Stoker, mm. who used to go around stoking things. No. He was really stoked <laughs> all the time. It's like, whoa, <laughs> so stoked. Yeah. And uh, I bought it 
and read the book or tried to read the book. It got a little bit too old very quickly for me at the age of 12 mm -hmm. from Ireland. I think from the county that Bram Stoker was from, I thought it would be a nice keepsake. Of course, I cool. probably sold the book <laughs> three weeks later because <laughs> it was too intense. Yeah. But um, it was one of those books that back in the day you could only get like, we had like these classic literature collections from mm -hmm. Puffin. Yeah. And they were always quite cheap and they always looked very similarly. Yeah. Uh, a classic painting on the front and yeah. then it's all kind of beige covered and stuff. It was one of those from uh, a bookstore when we had them. We have a few now, only a few. Um, Support your local bookstore. Yeah, otherwise it'll fall down. <laughs> Yeah, you should put you should brick it up right. It's terrible when you're half maker store. So um the audiobook is quite good because I, I was a huge, huge fan of the Francis Ford Coppola film, Dracula. Especially as a kid, because I could understand that. It had visuals. Yeah, you couldn't People understand spoke. the book. <laughs> Keanu Reeves was in it. I haven't read the book. I it's an amazing probably. cast, the actual film. Mm. It's an amazing cast because mm -hmm. you have Loads of generational actors. You had Keanu in it, Winona Ryder, mm. who kids nowadays will know for Neo from The Matrix, Mom from Stranger Things, yep. or John Wick, which is more up to date. Yep. He was in it. Yep. You'd think it would be a different film with John Wick in it. Yeah. But Keanu was playing Jonathan Harker. You had Carrie Yules, that guy that I keep mentioning, the guy that was in Robin Hood Men in Tights, who also made me laugh in Saw. Yes, the Saw guy. The Saw guy. Saw it all before. He was in Dracula as a role. Mm. Rupert E. Grant. I think it's... No, Richard E. Grant, sorry. Rupert is his cousin. Uh, Richard E. Grant, who's famous more now for Doctor Who, I suppose. He was an eccentric British actor. Thespian. Done lots of different things. He was in it. Tom Waits, mm. which I only grew up knowing because of Jim Jarmusch movies. And if you're into films... You'll know who Jim Jarmusch is. It's very good. He's an indie director from America. Yes. Did a really amazing series of short films, like um, Anthology before it was cool, <laughs> before Black Mirror made an anthology series. Mm -hmm. He did a, a feature-length anthology with The White Stripes. That was one of their first gigs. Mm. He also did a lot of stuff with Johnny Depp back in the day and different people, Bill yeah. Murray and Broken Flowers and things like this. He's a great director. He's very different. He's an auteur. He's got his own style. Yeah. But yeah. Tom Waits was in Coffee and Cigarettes, and he's also a folk singer. Right, yeah. He was uh, Renfield, and he was very good at it. I actually. only know him as a musician. He's done a lot of acting. Actor. Yeah, he's done a lot of acting. He's been in more stuff than you'd think. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's just amazing what they can do in makeup these days. Hmm. It was Anthony Hopkins in Science and Lambs, <laughs> Tom Waits. Uh, playing Anthony Hopkins, playing Anthony Hopkins, playing... Hannibal Lecter. No. It's a little bit like Robert Downey Jr.'s role in Tropic Thunder, where he's an Australian guy playing a black guy. Yeah. I can't believe an umbrella of things going on there. Um, but anyway, so I was always interested to see how it linked. And for some reason, as a kid at the age of 12, the book didn't process to me as anything sensible. It, it kind of felt totally like it wasn't when I've listened to it back as an audio. Mm. I, I've only listened to sort of, I'm kind of an hour away from completion, mm. so I won't, there's no spoilers, but <laughs> I'm wondering if end credits come at the end, because, <laughs> you know, that'd take a long time to read those. All the special no, effects and it, novels. It's only like 
one guy reading it, right? Or like even even it's, if it's it, a cast. In this recording, I was going to give a shout out, but I don't know, fully know his name. I know that he goes by the handle Red Fox, and he's got a Patreon account, right? Because so if it's just him, then he just needs to say his own name. As no, a his name's mentioned actually on. No, I know, but he said the credits. I'm seeing it via YouTube. I think it's a sample, mm. and then he's trying to get your hooks into the Patreon side and yeah. paying for it and whatnot. But he's doing a good job, apart from the fact that he sounds like the physicist Brian Cox. Okay. He's got exactly the same voice as Brian Cox, but he's doing all the voices, and some of the voices he does kind of a bit cringy. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Um, like he's doing a female characters in a certain way. And then he'll do uh, Van Helsing, who we've all seen, is um, is Wolverine, who you might know <laughs> uh, from the Wolverine films. Hugh Jackman, okay, who Wolverine plays quite a lot in interviews. No, in Australia. he plays Wolverine. No, no, no. Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. He just plays Hugh Jackman. It's like you know, how you got Bruce Wayne and Batman. Yeah. Wolverine. He has Logan. That's his other name. But when he's playing the Australian guy, is Hugh Jackman. And he does musicals and everything. Hmm. Yeah, it's how he gets rid of all the stress from being a rage being. Does he have a lycanthropy? No, he's a wolverine. He's got an adamantamine skeleton. <laughs> you haven't seen the films? It's an Origins film. It tells you all about it. Ryan Reynolds was in it as Deadpool, but hmm. it's terrible. I've only heard one audiobook. Michael McIntyre? No, Paradise Lost. Oh, I've... It's been lost for Milton's years. Milton's Paradise Lost because I had to like. Teach you you you're lying because you heard the Michael McIntyre one with me. Mm. Michael McIntyre's autobiography. I always thought autobiographies were part of the Transformers. That's true, universe. but it's kind of weird because it's him reading his own book, so it's like about himself. <laughs> well, it's, it's the best way of reading, it, isn't it? It's but like I mean, a confession, like, you know, like a fiction, like a fiction book. Well, anyway, so I'm not interested in your story. You can tell me your story anytime <laughs> you want. But uh, Paradise Lost, yes. Been, uh, been that way for a while. They call it Las Vegas. And it's now a casino <laughs> resort. Um, it's hard to read, so I thought I'd try listening to it. It's a, Well, Dracula's interesting because I want to go back on that because mm. I don't know Paradise Lost. You'll be talking to your, your lonesome. I was just going to say one thing about it. I think there's five people in the world that have read Paradise Lost. No. It's Everyone else listens to it. <laughs> <laughs> there's actually a series as well but it's nothing connected as well as a game video game oh okay. yeah. yeah all i was gonna say was there are actually a few versions of uh paradise lost that i saw as audiobooks american speakers and british speakers and it just doesn't sound right in american english that's all i was gonna say well it's the same with dracula a lot Sometimes, of yeah. a lot of the stuff because a lot of audiobooks these days you have to buy yeah or you can download them on a app service, mm-hmm. or you're still buying in effect. You can actually buy the physical recording. You mm-hmm. can buy a, a streaming version. Yeah. You can also audible it or whatever the app is. Yeah. And also you can stream on YouTube in parts. Mm-hmm. Quite a lot of these guys, like especially indie guys, are doing it through YouTube and then tied to the Patreon, like our mm-hmm. dear friend Red Fox, who sounds like Brian Cox. Probably is Brian Cox with a different name, pseudonym. <laughs> I, I really want to Could tell you his red name, Fox. but it's not. No, no, no. Because <laughs> the actual Brian Cox has nothing to do with red. He's graying. Brown, Maybe he's black a squirrel. He's, he's interestingly like Jonathan Harker in Dracula, which I'll go back to. Okay. Um, the whole point of Dracula. Yes. Because you know how 
Internet Movie Database, if you don't know what that is, it's an app that tells you everything about movies. If you want to know anything about movies, like how many directors and actors I've messed up or characters that I don't know about in the DC universe, that's where you fact check. It's the Wikipedia of movies. Somewhat. Started before, I feel, or maybe slightly before Wikipedia did. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's, it's everything you need to know about film. And interestingly, over the time, something that was once a classic, really classic movie, almost a film that's in everyone's DVD collection, would be a highly rated film on IMDb, like a nine point whatever, maybe yeah. an eight point something or whatever. But over time, especially with the kids growing up, and we're in this day of extreme critical audiences which can change movies entirely like you can change and make and break a film by your fan base it's really yeah. quite intense dracula which used to be one of those nine point whatevers it's mm -hmm. it, it it is a film the francis ford coppola one uh gary oldman starring as a title character winona Ryder, keanu reeves anthony hopkins richard e grant etc it was a phenomenal success at the time they, they, it had I remember in production, a lot of issues. Gary Oldman had a lot of issues with Francis Ford Coppola. Mm. I think Anthony Hopkins was started off positively and then sort of felt it all a bit fluffy. Right. Um, I think Francis Ford Coppola was providing what he was trying to do in The Godfather, where bring a family into the family because it's all about family. Mm. Trying to reenact that with Dracula, and a lot of these people are British, so doesn't work they with didn't us. want to be a part of the family they're like we just do turn up do a job and go home we don't want to <laughs> deal with you lot we don't know what family is <laughs> you know it's a different thing if you're italian american what family is yeah. to what it is in britain where we all shun each other at the end of the day and go our separate ways after a pint never to a pint of milk yeah <laughs> uh never to speak to each other again you mm. know only the kids drink beer in england it's, uh, no, really... actually, the kids are drinking less beer, apparently. Oh, the kids are drinking less beer. The <laughs> fact that we're even having that conversation is <laughs> is a British thing. Um, what I was going to say, though, is the audiobook helped clarify a few things because I was looking at reviews of a once acclaimed film and the reviews are sort of going into it quite a lot by these nerds. Mm. You get these, like yourself, a literature nerd who teaches literature yes. on the side of the mountain um basically a lot of these nerds like yourself are picking the films apart and there's you've got a two and a half hour time frame to mm. sit what in audiobook is nearly nearly 20 hours mm. of reading yeah you're never gonna fit like unless all of you guys want to see a film that lasts 20 hours yeah which judging by the lord of rings you don't because five hours or three and a half hours is enough to make everyone homicidal it's not a wise move so unless they did bram stoker's dracula pitch perfect absolutely as a tv series it's never going to be like the book well no book adaptations will always have things cut out in films well it's got a like i said the time frame is yeah. is extremely difficult so you get to the bullet points which Arguably, in today's day and age, when you've got TV series mm -hmm. uh, that are phenomenal and they last sort of like probably even have a bigger fan base than the films, mm -hmm. actually. Seasons and seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you could plausibly do it in this day and age. Yeah. But back in the 90s, you couldn't have done it because mm. TV was synonymously lesser ranked and appreciated than film. 
Yes. Uh, our TV series back in those days weren't great. They weren't bad, but they weren't great. Not like Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, and all this stuff. Now, we had the X-Files, which was quite a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back then, TV actors were seen as lesser than film actors. Yeah, it, it's the sure. whole thing, yeah. okay? So now you've got movie actors floating in inside and outside yeah. the television series, even film studios developing television series mm-hmm. with the same budget There's as There's an equality now. It's a whole different world. I think that I wanted to just go through it all a little bit because... This is a really good highlight. We we do try and talk about film here and very often mess it all up because we spend a lot of our time yipping on about two swords and I different things. I wonder why. <laughs> Probably the full moon. Uh, and the fact that I don't have much of a brain. So that's all good. Um, but the thing about this was the bullet points of the movie, Francis Ford Coppola, which was presented as Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes as opposed to Bella Lagos's non-Dracula, Dracula horror movie that Universal did once upon a time and Hammer Horror Draculas, which mm. are all very loosely based on the book. This was presented as a adaptation. Yeah. A bit like The Godfather was adapted uh, from a book. A lot of people might not know that. I didn't know that. There you go. It was a book? Oh, yeah. Hmm. I want to say the guy's name, but again, I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> this, this, this culture of... <laughs> people's criticism is messing my head mm. mario puzzi i think wrote the book of the godfather and then francis ford coppola adapted it i might have got that name completely wrong and if so expect me to correct myself in future weeks but bram stoker's dracula was what francis ford coppola put out and people were furious mostly about him turning it into a love story mm. all right about reincarnation giving dracula a pre-story so you get to know how he became all of this stuff. I'm doing my best to not spoil it for you. A few casting options I had a massive issue with from way back in the day when I watched as a, as a teenager, I, I had an issue with the casting. There was casting such as Keanu being Jonathan Harker was terrible because Keanu mm-hmm. is not known for his accents. He can mm-hmm. do one, and that is Surfer from yeah. California Stroke Hawaii. Yeah. And I think they could have made Keanu the Texan character in it, Morris, Quincy, Quincy Morris, but they didn't. They made him Jonathan Harker. Okay. Then they made the love interest Winona Ryder, who's also American. She actually got away with the accent Mm. just, but that's the only glitch I had with it. I I was even okay with Carrie Orr's being in it, uh, prancing around with tights on, uh, as Robin Hood. Different film. Yeah. Different film. Uh, but basically Anthony Hopkins as Van Helsing was genius. Mm. Gary Oldman as Dracula was genius. And I think to this day, because people have run the film down and said, oh, it's it's gone off script so much and blah, blah, blah. It'd be an impossible film to really do as written because a lot of it's excerpts and diary entries and journals and newspaper clippings and all this stuff. Yeah, the narrative is very different. Yeah. Again, it would be an interesting exploration as a tv series if you want to get as factual as you can to the context Mm. but the book i'm just going to say this because there's a lot of literature people out there like yourself who uh, are in their dusty uh little dwellings with their uh smoking jacket their pipe that (laughs) blows bubbles because they wouldn't do tobacco they're too educated hiding in our reading rooms yeah yeah with their little snuff box you know and uh all of these uh scrolls lying around that they write their little notes 
Uh, people like yourself, tweed jacket types. Highlighters. Um, whatever. Uh, basically, <laughs> they're going to be like, oh, you can't touch the classics. The classics are classic for a reason. You can't touch the classics. They're brilliant. <laughs> but honestly, if Bram Stoker released the book today, it wouldn't pass editing. Mm. It just wouldn't. Editing now is so sophisticated yeah. that a lot of these books, I question how far they'd make it. And Dracula, to be honest, it's extremely groundbreaking for the time because yeah. of the weight of it. It was really heavy when it was first printed, no. made out of titanium, and it fell on the floor and ground broke uh, <laughs> instantly. But basically, a lot of it's conversational because mm -hmm. it's in clippings and journals. It's mm -hmm. very conversational. It almost reads like Pride and Prejudice. Only Pride and Prejudice featured a couple of vampires and stuff with a bit of lore. But a lot of it's waffle, I'll be honest. And a lot of the waffle repeats itself quite a lot through the book, hence it not being up to scratch in current day editing. So mm. if you were to watch the movie based on the book, it would literally be a courtroom drama mm. featuring a few actions here and there and a couple of gestures of horror you know present day with lots of flashbacks <laughs> yeah and i actually think Cut francis scene. ford coppola's in inspiration to turn it into something in context does not match essentially where the book goes with the title character mm. but it doesn't not mm. it's an interesting kind of perspective interpretation somewhat basically bram stoker doesn't tell you a lot about dracula it gives you hints mm. and you get a bit of the because the real vlad the impaler who made a career out of selling ice creams with a flake in it no. uh, in Transylvania. He basically is the, the origin story of Dracula, being Dracul, being a position, dragon, red right. dragon of Transylvania. Historical figure? Yeah, he's a real guy. Mm. That guy is. The Dracul was a position. Yeah. It was like a general of the military in, in that time because they were having wars against Turkey. Mm-hmm. And basically, he incorporates this slightly, I mean, really slightly into narrative, where it's a little bit like modern TV shows. You get some deep philosophy thrown at you in a mouthful, mm. which is meant to tell you like pages and pages yeah. of script. <laughs> and it's just the one monologue. And it's like, yeah. oh, that's all I'm going to get. Like yeah. psychobabble, basically an episode of Star Trek, right? So Star Trek, they like to say, oh, well, the warp drive's being affected by radioactive Flugenbergen and there's an anomaly <laughs> on the Flagenstimmel. And, uh, you know... and Pack this scene full of science jargon. But it's, it's literally like that. And then Dracula is a lot of that mm -hmm. as a book. Yeah. So I think that what Francis Ford Coppola did was he catched certain romances and heightened them. The fact that he linked Dracula, the Count's previous love in his human life as the base of the story elizabetha and then elizabeth and then she reincarnates as mina was a whole different side of dracula mm. whereas the book is just a gnarly old guy no. and i can't help but think the book is actually a really good exploration if you're going to analyze it today in racism mm. because you can have this context a foreign guy Buys a property in London. Stop me if you've heard this one. A lot of Saudi Arabians right now are knowing exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and the entire local community doesn't support them. Only the nosy ones, the professor, the, you know, the reverend, a madman in a loony asylum, and a couple of well-to-dos don't like the fact that foreign guys bought property there. So they want him out. Hmm. This is the narrative I'm getting from the book, you see. Right. 
Now, of course, he has to sign all of the legal forms before he can get to London. As you know, you wait for a visa for a long time yes. in this day and age. It was even worse back then because it didn't have planes. How? We didn't even have the internet. So he had to bring the solicitor from London. This is how Dracula starts. Solicitor from London turns up in Transylvania. This yes. is Keanu Reeves' character. Jonathan Harker. Jonathan Harker. Is Hark, the solicitor. Hark at that. And he turns up and... From day one, he's With property ex- paperwork. Yeah, no, but from day one, Jonathan Harker is racist. Oh. He's like, I'm in a creepy land. Everything's creepy. All the traditions don't make sense. He's looking down on the count. Like, <laughs> what an old man. Ugh. I don't like his decor. So uncivilized. It's quite creepy. And all of the Transylvanian customs he's looking down on, right? Oh, gosh. So <laughs> he feels like a prisoner yeah. inside this foreign land. He's obviously <laughs> homesick and wants his mom, you know. Uh, and, then, and then obviously it's a big problem. So then Dracula ends up in London. Jonathan Harker is traumatized by being in a foreign country for longer than he should have been. Completely horrendous, right? Eventually everyone makes up there. But Van Helsing, this blatant racist from Holland... He's from the Netherlands. He's a Dutch character. Right. Hates all kinds of Transylvania. Like, they've got a whole thing, right? A lot of Turkish immigrants in, in the Netherlands, as we know. And so he's a fan of the Turkish. Didn't like Vlad, because he was not a fan of the Turkish. So the whole thing's a racist study about and that, racism. Val Helsing... Van Helsing. Uh, is a vampire slayer? No, no. Van Hel- This is the interesting thing. Because Hugh Jackman, a.k.a. Wolverine, playing Hugh Jackman, the Australian, um, was in a film called Van Helsing. When they made him, it's almost like Castlevania. The Van Helsing's all these notorious vampire hunters. In Dracula, Van Helsing's a doctor. He's a professor. Mm. He's got a law degree and he's got a doctorate, medical degree. Yeah. He's basically what every Hong Kong mom wishes their son would be. <laughs> like a, an owner of dual professionals. <laughs> Uh, uh, certificates right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and basically he isn't a vampire hunter he becomes one because they have this situation and I think vampire should be exchanged from Dracula as foreigner and it would be a whole different story genocide then (laughs) it's basically kill the foreigner send him away (laughs) riffraff I mean, it's it's just comedy. Like, my brain works in comedy, right? So yeah. I'm looking at this thing and I'm thinking, this is literally a study of racism because all of the British people in it are heralded as angelic mm. and beautiful and perfect. The yeah. Texan is the new hope from the new land, the Lone Star State, which is very noble, and we've got all our hopes set. And then Van Helsing, the old Dutch guard, isn't quite... People are a bit weird about him. Yeah. He's Dutch. <laughs> doesn't really know our customs he has to keep apologizing for the way he doesn't know our customs and blah 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 and then dracula the foreign element and everyone hates him mm. oh he's a weirdo coming to our country doing weird things right but it's actually um not to put you off it the the guy who does the audiobook is brilliant it's kind of like listening to a amateur dramatic version where he's doing the whole cast, but he does the effort. And I really mm. appreciate that. There's enough distinction and separation, even though his Van Helsing is a little weird, because mm. to me, it's a little bit like listening to Timothy Dalton as Van Helsing. Well, it's a lot of work, 20 hours of talking. Well, it's three parts and about seven hours a pop every time. So yeah. it's a long, long story. But I mean, this is his reading it with acting. Yeah. So he's, he's, he reads how I read <laughs> I think it it would take different readers quite a lot less to get through the story yeah. than listening it. Yeah, but 
the actual film, I actually think Francis Ford Coppola, with a brief of the story, did something quite special with it because he's setting forward a lot more inspiration. He made the whole thing a, a, a tragic love story, mm. like an almost Romeo and Juliet kind of affair. Yeah. Where like a, a guy has angle. a redemption angle yeah. to fix what he messed up. And in the actual book, the character, when he was human, is all graces. He, he was smart. He was an alchemist. He was a scientist and all this stuff. But in the in the way Van Helsing as a character talks about him in the book is like, and now we are of man's mind and he is but a child's mind because mm. he's this undead thing that hasn't had time to flourish like they have. And it's just, it honestly feels like if you take the word vampire and put foreigner in it, it would be relevant to this day. Yeah. Interestingly. Full of superiority. It's strange, man. But the, the film, I think I will say on record, Gary Oldman probably is the best dracula there's ever been i think the book stops with him mm. the amount of detail he put into it was incredible really was and i mean back in those times like the effects makeup and all of this stuff was yeah. pretty outstanding really yeah it was very cool because in principle he really sticks in your head as the character mm. but he had a lot of heart he was a perfectly imperfect anti-hero in Francis Ford Coppola's story, which I think Gary Oldman probably had a problem with. I think he wanted to do the actual novel version and make him all evil. There's a contracted, really well-known Hollywood story of the war between him and Francis Ford Coppola making that film, mm. which is interesting. Because now he seems as docile as anything, Gary Oldman, you know? But I think what's interesting, if you are a filmmaker out there, I once did a class about this, but as a director, I think sometimes, especially with the talent that you have in actors, everyone in a filmmaking process is a storyteller. Mm. Everyone. Yeah. And so even if you're the prop guy, even if you're the dude that's doing the electrics, it's all part of the same thing. Yeah. In theater, we have a tech department and we have the production department, so the onstage and the offstage. In film, the offstage is vastly bigger than the onstage. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's a collaboration. And I think that if you've got someone of Gary Oldman's stature yeah, and being a European, I think Dracula affects us possibly more the classic version because we all have to study it in English or whatever. Um, it, it kind of has a really big place in our kind of cultural history because it's one of the British classics written by an Irish guy but completely inspired by Whitby Bay and Yorkshire yeah. and London and stuff like this. It's very hard, I think, when someone tries to fluff it all up. Because I think one thing that I would think any British actor playing that role would have an issue with is literally the universal horror version of it, mm. Bella Lugosi. Mm. If you're American, you might not get this. There's Americans that I know who plow into all the classic literature more than we do because they think it's all quintessential for us it's a chore <laughs> it's part of our education we had to learn it <laughs> well shakespeare's almost a military academy yeah. here in the uk like you know if you ever did anything with the rsc or the performing arts department of the uk rada lambda any notable drama school really mm -hmm. shakespeare becomes war training it's 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 totally not <laughs> for interest. Yeah. Whereas Americans have the 
incredible way of just being passe with it all. Like it's it's quintessentially fun. Yeah. To think of England being all these bouncy, skippy people in stately homes. There was some controversy with uh, some English departments and universities here, I think, where they were proposing to put, you know, like restoration drama and all that as optional. Whereas at the moment, you kind of have to learn all that olden day stuff as a sort of base. Yeah, we, we've, for probably the last 100 years, classic. Uh, English literature in the UK mm-hmm. has been devised from several of the books and the 50 books you need to read before you die list. Yeah. It's literally Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility. Dracula will be on there quite a lot. Um, loads of Shakespeare. Shakespeare is almost the, it, it's sort of the accompaniments in its own genre here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really intriguing to me though, because obviously being out in the US with with my American friends who are in theatre, Shakespeare is like this superhero, really. Yeah. In the sense of it's so eloquent, it's so it's like the caviar of novels. <laughs> it's like the champagne of books. Whereas in the UK it's like battleground training. Like I remember everything's stripped apart. Everything is indicated. You have to get context it's right. You have to know how here. to speak it. Yeah. In the right rhythm, it's not something you take for granted in any sense. And it's funny because weirdly wrapping up the Dracula thing, Anthony Hopkins is in the movie and we've talked about him recently. One of the biggest known facts about him, he said in interviews, which is rare because he doesn't do a lot of them. But he was saying that the reason he left theatre, he was a huge RSC guy. He was Mm. in the Royal Shakespeare Company and he was in a lot of West End productions in London about Shakespeare, you know, but he said he never felt like he was the archetypical thespian guy. He was under all the greats. Like you had, um, Lawrence Olivier and things over him. Yeah. And he was like, I'm the odd one out here. I don't fit in here at all. So he went to California. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? (laughs) Like John Luke Picard, AKA Patrick Stewart to us in the UK is nothing to do with Star Trek or the X-Men yeah. or any of this. He is full on theater. He was Shakespeare, mm-hmm. like, and uh, Ian... McKellen. Uh, Ian McKellen as well. Surian, both Sir, Sir Patrick Surian. Yes. Their whole fame here, and Judy Dench, yes. my old mate, she is, all of these guys are synonymous with Shakespeare. In fact, half of Harry Potter cast, mm. except for Daniel Radcliffe, is too small. Young. No, small. Small. He's still too small. He's too, he can't get on certain rides at a team, but he's far too small. He needs to grow. No. That's the problem with wizards. Doing magic really stunts your growth. No, it, does. it does. It's bad for you. So um, I'm not sure what this podcast is about. I feel like we analyzed something. We did something with it. Um, but yeah, episode 99, all about impaling ice cream with, with uh, chocolate steaks. Chocolate flakes. Oh, yeah, that's that's what they're called. <laughs> so, yeah, if you ever want to kill a vampiric ice cream, flake it. <clears throat> that's all I'm saying. But, yeah, no, Dracula is worth watching, especially how Gary Oldman these days is is really known mm. uh, for winning an Oscar now, which is 20 years too late. He should have won one for Dracula, I think. Fantastic actor one of the best and i think going back to what i said i don't think i concluded if you are making films and you're a dead set director there's two types of directors i feel one is the technical director 
mm-hmm. that just wants everything to look pretty and magical and wonderful in CGI or whatever it is and doesn't really care about the acting, probably because they think that the actors all take care of themselves. A good example of a technical director is Danny Boyle, mm. train spotting, uh, Slumdog Millionaire, The Beach. Uh, Sunshine. On a, on a mountain. <laughs> uh, yeah, him. Uh, he basically doesn't really care about his actors, cares about the world that is building. Yeah. And then you've got the flip side of that, the director that cares about the actors and then trusts someone else to do the technical stuff like Tarantino is a good example of that. Mm. Where he gets the most from the actors. Yeah. And works very hard with them. And then the technical side of stuff, they don't have to worry about. He's got that mapped out with brilliant partners like yeah. Lawrence Bender and stuff like this. So if you are... A director, one of those two areas you'll find yourself in as a category. It's just going to happen. But I think that if you ever have an actor with a talent, and Gary Oldman was already known for his talent by the time he did Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, let them guide you. Mm. Unless you've got a diehard reason to turn a horror story into a romance story, and then you probably won't listen to him. Yeah. (laughs) A good example, actually, a few years back now, Christian Bale was working on a movie. It was a Terminator movie, Terminator Salvation, I think it was called. It's one of these easily forgotten ones with CGI Arnold Schwarzenegger because he was governor at the time. And the director of that was Matt G, who, by his name alone, you can understand isn't a typical film director. He was a music video director. I was going to say, it sounds like a... Yeah. It's, it, it, it sounds like a chocolate bar, let's be <laughs> honest. But Mac G and Christian Bale had this huge fallout that was recorded. You can get tapes of it, of Christian Bale having a full-on mental at him. Mm. Uh, it was actually a lighting tech who dropped a light bulb and ruined the shot or whatever. And Christian Bale was probably so sick and tired of doing this pretty bad film <laughs> that it made him snap. Mm. It's a perfect example of a guy that cares too much about the technical and not enough about the, the acting, actors. you see. Mm. Um, but there's so many stories of this. I'll never forget one, and I'll leave you on this in a nutshell because we've got a two-week thing for you to think about. Uh, one of our closest mates, and I'm going to give him a shout-out, never have before, James Clark, who's a, a, an incredibly talented actor from Surrey. He's based in London. Done a lot of things. I think his stage name is different. Yeah, McGregor. His stage name. James McGregor. Look him up. He's a very talented guy. He basically was uh, doing extra sort of extra work or crew work on um, a Matthew Vaughan film called Stardust, which is the Neil Gaiman written famous yes. comic. No, it's a book. Book. I read it. I think it's a comic too. I think it's both. Hmm. Anyway, for the, for the for the for the novel impaired like myself, it's a comic <laughs> okay. which has pictures. A lot more sense. <laughs> he was working on that and said Matthew Vaughan, a director, yeah, was practically never there. Mm. And this guy is a and you know this is insider knowledge. He was a student under Guy Ritchie. He worked with Lock, Stock and Snatch and all of this stuff mm-hmm. with Guy Ritchie. Matthew Vaughan's done a lot of talented stuff. He did Kick-Ass. He's done a few things subsequently. He still works in the industry. But it was a reveal. And I think that you will see the longevity of directors 
who have this track record of never being there really yeah, and probably just caring probably just caring about the technical side how it looks yeah feeling quite honestly that the first edition uh so assistant director will take out the actors while he goes on a little golf cart and sees how the sets are looking whatever it is i wouldn't say he doesn't do the job it's just a very different way of working mm. and i think if you come from theater you can't even imagine that because yeah. theatre is all about the performance and the director's watching the performance at all times when they're directing. And tweaking the performance. And tweaking yeah. and moving your foot and, yeah. you know, a bit like a karate teacher. You're not yeah. stretching, right? So I'll just separate your legs a bit more, you know, this kind of stuff. They're doing that because it's a physical performance. Mm. The set is part of something they brief, then they watch that come to life. It all kind of comes together. So if your history as an actor is theatre, when you transfer to film quite often i think the first thing a lot of people find out is that the director's very you, you know it's not very hand it, there's a super massive separation quite a lot of the time because they're either watching everything from a monitor calling action and cut and allowing you guys to just do your thing or they're very much in your face like tarantino is you know yeah. trying to have meetings every five seconds which can frustrate you yeah. honestly hands on or hands off yeah <laughs> So it's it's interesting that this has actually become a proper insight to filmmaking. Wow. Hey. But I really do wish the audiobooks had shut the hell up. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> they just won't stop talking. Well, you should read a proper book. I'm going to throw, throw them a rabbit and see what happens. <laughs> then I'll grind it up. I think that's how Watership Down was written. Anyway, on that uh... note, we'll see you in two weeks. Take care, everyone. It'll be the big hundredth. I will say this. The 100th episode, I'm actually going to give you all, because we started this whole thing 100 episodes ago, next time, so I'm just giving you a foreshadowing, I'm going to talk about everything Project FIA, because we never really did. No. And when we started this whole thing, we talked about a film that we once made called Kinfall and Star. So I thought, you know, 100 episodes into the future now, I should go back on us, rather than all the silliness of the world. In two weeks' time, it's going to be a Project FIA special. May, may or may not have Pete. I don't know. He might be at download. He's trying his best. There's a limited festival. Yeah. Hopefully the world will be normal by then. See you in two weeks, folks. <laughs> <laughs>